Happy February 2nd. Morning! Off to see the groundhog? Yeah. I think it'll be an early spring. Didn't we do this yesterday? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> don't mess with me, pork chop. What day is this? It's February 2nd. Groundhog Day. It is, and we relive it every year. And Puxatawney Phil or Woody out and how is going to be out to tell us from their rodent prognostications whether or not we're going to get six more weeks of winter. Love that movie. And Same. There, yes. There's the scene where he asked the lady at the bed and breakfast, uh, do you ever have deja vu? And she goes, I don't know. I'll ask the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie. So, yeah. Groundhog 2024. We'll see what they say. But, in fact, we're already there. Uh, Temperatures are warmer than normal. Uh, It's been wetter than normal. And uh, no matter what we should ask the the, the groundhog is, are you wet? Are you cold? If not, you get back in your holes. (laughs) We'll see you in six weeks. I don't know why we do this, but. It's a fun tradition. It is. a lot of hype around it. I do love the. From the meteorologist. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, like any of us take it seriously, guys. <laughs> right. Come on. Uh, it, it is a lot of fun. So uh, welcome to February 2nd. Thank goodness it's Friday. Uh, Going to be a great weekend, guys. we got the uh, Plymouth Ice Festival. We've got the Motown Winter Blast in Royal Oak. Mm-hmm. Lots of great stuff going on this weekend. And the weather will be pretty accommodating for it. And we, we're supposed to get some sun, too, I believe. What? We will. We will see our shadows. We're going to make an appearance. That's okay. Later on this <laughs> <Awesome>. afternoon. <laughs> Hi, hey. Shadow. Yeah. <laughs> been a while. Um, yesterday, as we would have expected, we have been getting basically the prosecution's viewpoint, the prosecution's context, and the prosecution's spin in the involuntary manslaughter trial against Jennifer Crumbly. Yesterday, it was her team's turn. Yes. And it was both an exercise in distancing herself from the gun and the child, but also uh, just trying to put on a picture of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Jennifer Crumbly, she took center stage in the trial of uh, for four counts of involuntary manslaughter stemming from that tragic uh, event at Oxford High School. With emotional gravity, she recounted the days and moments leading up to the shooting. I've asked myself if I would have done anything differently, and I wouldn't have. <clears throat> If you could change what happened, would you? Oh, absolutely. I wish he would have killed us instead. In her testimony, Crumbly revealed that her son never sought help with his mental health, despite indications in his messages. Did you ever believe that your son needed mental health treatment? No. I mean, there was a couple of times where Ethan had expressed anxiety, not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional. Regarding concerning behavior at school, she says she was never informed. Now, dismissive of her son's alarming messages about seeing or hearing strange things, she brushed them off as just mere antics. Crumbly also distanced herself from her husband's involvement with firearms. Who is responsible for storing the gun? My husband is. It was more his thing. She recounted the morning of the shooting, highlighting a meeting with school counselors where no red flags were raised. Despite her son's stress, they agreed he should stay in school. Crumbly passed off the counselor's assertion of an abrupt end to that meeting, claiming it concluded naturally. Now, despite the horrors that transpired, she maintained she would not alter her parenting approach. As that trial continues, guide today in Oakland County Circuit Court, uh, court it is the prosecutor's turn to cross-examine. And the prosecutor will ask the question that went unasked yesterday, which is why, when you heard all the troubling information about your son, 
granted, some of it should have been transmitted earlier in the mm-hmm. relationship with the school. But when you heard about that, why would you not divulge the existence of the gun? And that was a, a question that her defense team, uh, with with obvious uh, strategic, omitted. They were trying to paint the picture that this was a happy family. They showed all these thumbnails of their life throughout the years. And we went on this trip and we went on this trip and we were happy and everything was fine. Um, you could just see where they were going with Picking that. Picking and choosing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Attorney- and that this was her picture of her family. And you know what? We all have a blind spot when it comes to our kids. Sure. Yeah, right? That's and, true. And so this is, this is going to be her version. But again, it begs the question, what would a reasonable person do? And, and her take on the, on the artwork with the gun, gun and saying she saw that more as an act of defiance than it was a cry for help. Because they'd had an argument, argument the night before about not doing grades. your math assignments. Mm-hmm. And he drew the picture on his math assignment worksheet. And I just don't believe it. Just no. If there's a presence of a gun, you've gone practicing with mom exactly. and dad, and now he's drawing bullets and people bleeding, and you're called to the school. How do you not make that connection? And well, I think that's what the prosecution will ask today. Attorney Todd Flood will join us at 635 to give his take on the uh, crumbly testimony. i also like to hear what he thinks about the defense attorney. Yeah, there have been some real, and mm-hmm. she's opened up a can of worms now because the prosecution wants to look into some of the privileged communications mm-hmm. between her and her client when they were on the run, and it, it will, it's, you know. That was the other thing. They were planning on turning themselves in. It was no big deal. We just went to our friend's art shop. And <laughs> right. slept, like, on slept the in the basement on, on the right. floor. Yeah, yeah. we have. And it, it, I do think that perhaps she may get some sympathy for the district not telling her about some of the things that they were hearing from Ethan about how bad his family life was and how horrible he felt about his own life. Uh, why wouldn't you clue in the parents that he was saying these things that are obvious signs of depression, you would think? Yeah. Um, but again, she keeps saying, well, they were very nonchalant. We followed. It was, it was my husband's fault. It was the school's fault. I wouldn't have done anything differently, really, including telling mm. them about the gun. Hmm. I think she had to say that. They practiced that. Yeah. Oh. And then they set up that soundbite of, I wish you would have killed us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no question. It was a, an important visit for President Joe Biden yesterday as he's trying to shore up what is, according to the latest polls uh, from Bloomberg and others, declining support in battleground states like the state of Michigan. Shows him trailing Donald Trump by five points here. Uh, In other states, it shows him trailing Nikki Haley by more. And yet Trump supporters staunchly behind the former president saying that he is the best option for beating uh, Joe Biden, uh, more or less ignoring what these some of these polls are saying. But increasingly, it's all about immigration and one of the most astonishing, alarming and infuriating immigration cases going on right now in New York. I don't understand this whatsoever. A group of migrants attacked NYPD police officers. Well, one officer and a lieutenant on Saturday night after the police officer said to this group, why don't you just move along? And then they were charged. The DA's office found the correct people, charged them and released them without bail. And multiple reports say four of those initially arrested and released after court have since boarded a bus under alias aliases and headed toward the California-Mexico border. So I don't think they're going to return for their court date. What what is bail about? Bail is about ensuring appearance, right? This is what Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, said. 
Violence against police officers is never mm-hmm. acceptable. It is paramount that we conclusively identify each defendant and specify each participant's role in the incident. Well, good luck with that when they're wow. in California. Good Lord. I don't understand this whatsoever. They're saying, well, we, we need to get the facts straight. But you charged these you people. You charged them. They attacked police officers. One of them was uh, charged, and there's a bail set for him. His name's like Yohenry Brito. It's $15 bail. But the rest of them were released. The one guy was flipping off the reporters when he was leaving, yeah, and or, now they're gone. But, you know, that's also a message for Alvin Bragg. You know, he's disrespecting the judicial system. Yes. And who is the judicial system here? The district attorney whose new no-bail policy is so permissive that you let a cup, a bunch of thugs, seven thugs that beat the hell out of your cops that's what they were. to walk free. Um, the police, Benevolent Police Association, why aren't they in jail right now? They brutally attacked a police officer and our, a lieutenant. Our criminal justice system is upside down. Yeah, it's, uh, it is sad, infuriating. And it, you know what? And it's going to continue this. It's going to come back to haunt them in November. Yeah, no, it so, is. And, uh, and then we have Rashida Tlaib voting, only one of two House members, to vote against a bill that would ban Hamas terrorists in the United States that would say... No, you can't come here if you supported what happened on October 7th. She says it's unnecessary and duplicative. Perhaps it also sends an important message, which you apparently don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the failure on so many school districts' part to heal student achievement after learning loss from COVID. Why are so many districts failing? We'll get to that next on JR Morning at 619. Every state in the nation was confronted with learning loss after the pandemic experience and classrooms being closed down for extended periods of time. Uh, Most of them got oodles, millions and millions of dollars in federal COVID aid to try to defeat that learning loss and make a comeback. So how did they do? Well, the folks at Harvard and Stanford have crunched the numbers using uh, scholastic tests and have found that when it comes to bouncing back, Michigan got very little bounce at all. Thomas Kane is faculty director of the Center for Education Policy Research at Harvard University and joins us with those findings. Uh, Thomas Kane, welcome to JR Morning. Good, good morning. So in terms of coming back, just kind of state the equation for us. How deep was our hole and how much have we been able to dig ourselves out of it? Have we, are we back to where are our kids back to where they should be? So, so they're not back to where uh, Michigan kids were in 2019, uh, b- before the pandemic. And in, in fact, in some communities, the losses um, were, were startlingly large. So, uh, for instance, in Lansing, um, Detroit, uh, Kalamazoo, uh, Dearborn, the losses were, you know, more than three quarters of a, of a school year. The, there were actually some communities I was surprised to see on on the list too. Uh, Ann Arbor and Portage also lost saw you know large losses during the pandemic. Yeah, eighty percent of a grade level in math. Right, which is which is startling. Now the last year, so what's new about this report is we, we took a look at so what happened during the recovery, and. Some districts uh, did make, uh, you know, some substantial improvements uh, last year. Uh, so, for instance, Detroit, Dearborn, 
both you know improved by you know m more than say a, a quarter of a of a year's worth of of growth just in that in that one year which means basically kids learned you know so if they gained a, a quarter of a grade level in a single year what that means is kids learned 125% of of what they normally would learn but a lot of communities still remain, you know, far behind. And the the important thing is there's about eight months of this federal um, money left. So so districts have about eight months in which to to spend the remaining money. And it's really important for parents to find out whether or not their child is behind grade level. Um, find out this spring so that you have time to sign up for uh, summer learning this summer before the federal money runs out. Thomas, when you talk about the uh, other states that maybe have done uh, better than Michigan, did did they shut their schools down? Because Michigan shut our schools down for quite a while. Did that play a part in that? So, um, so the the one state that so there's one state whose mean achievement is back above 2019 levels, and that is. Um, that's Alabama. And but even in Alabama, um not everybody is back to 2019 levels. Uh um you know Montgomery for instance is still about a half a grade level uh, uh behind where where they themselves were in, in 2019. So um and Alabama had their schools closed for for less time. So so there there's clearly part of this was the school closures but but i think you know whether we agreed with them or not um public officials are you know made these decisions about uh keeping schools closed and um and now we're seeing that it's poor kids uh low income communities for the most part that are paying the price for these public health measures that that were taken on all of our behalfs, and so it's just it's super important to, that um, that communities use these last eight months with the uh, with the federal dollars to help as many kids catch back up as possible. And I mean, the, the sad truth is a lot of districts have not been keeping parents informed. There are a lot of parents out there that, who think their child is on grade level um, who are not on grade level. And and so school districts need to inform parents this spring before the summer comes around whether or not uh, their kid is, is behind grade level so that they can sign up for some learning this summer or advocate for you know, uh, tutors or after-school programs or, or, or other kinds of, of things. Thomas, that was going to be my question. With these eight months left and the money sitting there, what could parents and school districts do to sort of increase the learning when it comes to reading and math? Jamie, thanks for asking that question because the options have narrowed considerably. School districts can do three things. Number one, they can let parents know this spring if their kids are behind grade level so that parents can sign up 
for summer learning this summer. That's one. Number two, under these federal budget rules, districts can't spend the money on their own um, employees' salaries after September, but they can spend the money on contracts for things like tutors um, and after-school programs. And so, um, and so districts can extend the recovery into next year, and a lot of these communities around Michigan will need uh, the help next year. But the only way they can do it is by contracting um, for, you know, tutoring, after school, uh, other other kinds of of services mm-hmm. um, next year. A uh, final question for you, Thomas Kane. <clears throat> it's a simple one. You say here between 2022 and 23, statewide achievement rose by an anemic seven percent of grade level in math and one percent in reading, and that is in spite of all the dollars thrown at the problem. So I guess my question is, why? Why weren't these uh, extra dollars getting any kind of result? Why was it so much worse in Michigan than in other states? Do we know? And why should we be confident that even if we try to get our kids into one of these programs, that it will raise the level of achievement given the poor bounce back we've had thus far? Well, so we, I'm sure there'll be a lot of work in the next year or two trying to figure out why they're, the communities have that have not seen um, much bounce back. Why? One possible reason uh, that that we'll be investigating is student absenteeism. So student absenteeism is way up since the pandemic. I, I don't actually have the data right in front of me for uh, Michigan on student absenteeism, mm-hmm. but I'm sure, like the rest of the country, it is it is elevated. Chronic. And and. For, for parents to remember, when when a when a child is is out of school, obviously they miss that day. But then when they get back to school, they're sort of not they're a little bit behind, so they're maybe getting seventy percent of what what the teacher is teaching that day. Right. The first day back, and then the next day maybe they're getting eighty percent. But but the point is. When you lose a day of school, you actually lose more than a day of learning. And it's also disruptive for the other students in, in class mm-hmm. if there if a teacher is, you know, having to reteach material uh constantly because a lot of kids are out. Thomas Kane, thank you so much for the time and the research and effort that was put into this. Well, thanks for for focusing on this issue. So, this kind of stuff between you, your son and your husband was like typical joking around kind of stuff. It was. Okay, so did you, when you look back at these texts now and you see that there's a demon throwing bowls and things like that, now looking back, do you think, oh my gosh, he had mental issues? No. What do you think was going on? Just what I said, that it was just him messing around. It only He only, he only did it when we weren't at home and it was for a short period of time and then and he got bored. Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of the accused Oxford High shooter, took the stand yesterday in her involuntary manslaughter trial, testifying about her family life, her parenting decisions, and her teenage son who carried out the shooting at Oxford High. Let's uh, get some insight on her testimony from attorney Todd Flood of Flood Law, joining us this morning on JR Morning. Good morning, Todd. Hey, 
Good morning, Joyce. Before morning. we before Thanks we get me. you're welcome. Before we get into this specific testimony, I, I'm just curious of what you think about the defense attorney in this case, and if you believe she's providing an adequate defense. Well, that's a, uh, a loaded question. I I um, I, I would uh, I I don't think um, this is uh, a trial that um, she has done before or a homicide case before. I think she's talked about that. Um, I, it's, for me, it's very difficult to, to watch mm-hmm. um, this go forth the way the defense is presenting the case. Maybe there's a strategy here. I'm not quite seeing it. Uh, the rules of evidence, um, I don't necessarily know if they're uh, um, completely being followed by her. One of the one of the striking things to me, I guess this is very telling, and you know, for every listener out there, when the defense uh, put her client on the stand, and the defendant is up there, and, and they're talking about the flight, you know, they're talking about how you were you were were you leaving and trying to get out of the you know the state, were you on the lam, and she said, well, I was following your advice, and. Everyone around uh, that was watching that in the legal circles kind of mouthed hit the ground saying, wait a second, did, did you just put your, your attorney on the stand as a witness, a potential witness, because yeah. you have to explain away. You know, so you, before your de- client gets up on the stand, you have thoroughly gone through every mm-hmm. piece of, of testimony. And that preparation, that part of it to, to many, I think was kind of shocking. Um, I will say this, she, she did get out of um, her clients, and we can get into that, but the specifics of her defense, which I'm not necessarily sure everyone's going to buy, you know, the self-serving statements, that she had an innocent explanation for everything there was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it started, Todd, with pictures. She wanted to put them into evidence, all these thumbnails, and the prosecution's like, yes, yeah, sure, go ahead. And it was, you know, we're the perfect happy family, and I don't think many people b- believe it. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. It's so self-serving, and there's an innocent explanation for every single thing. Um, and, and it's been my experience with juries, especially uh, when a client takes the stand, um, that those things don't work. They don't, they don't, you know, you can't hang your hat on it because nothing's that perfect, right? Nothing's that pure. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have the, the pulse of what the jury's thinking and how it is, you know, in person right there. But when you watch it, uh, um, it, it watched her testify. I agree with you. It's, it's, it's difficult to buy all of that, but, um, again, we talked about it before, you know, that's the only defense she can have. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one other thought about that is that, uh, we was talking with others about that, even though she's not on trial for being a bad mom, allegedly, you know, is it a mitigating fact that she was such a horrific parent that she really didn't know her kid, her son, and she really didn't know anything about him because she was so horrific at parenting that she, she had no idea he was going to, you know, do these terrible acts. I think that's a terrible defense, but it almost sounds like, uh, you know, that could be, that could be a ploy here. I'm not quite sure. 
Uh, she claimed that she did not play a role in the purchase of the weapon, though she didn't object to it. She claimed that it was the husband's responsibility to oversee and supervise Ethan with it, and that he, that she, he quote, he did what you're supposed to do. He hid the weapon. Well, anybody that knows anything about firearms would tell you in terms of safety protocol, no, you need to use the locks that Lock are provided yeah. with, with the weapon. But she basically put it all on him. Is that an effective right. defense, or will the jury say, yeah, but you should have taken a greater role here? Well, that's the plan B, right? The plan B defense. Put it on somebody else. Point the figure at someone else. You know, it wasn't me. It was this guy. He was the one that was responsible. I mean, that's poppycock, right? I, I just don't buy that. I don't think anyone reasonable would buy that as a parent. So you, if you know your son, one, you, you know the stressors of your son. But, I mean, it, it's kind of fantastical that she, the husband was, to think this, that the husband was the only one responsible for the gun in the household when she – is the one caught in the photos taking the son to target practice and the mm-hmm. son helping her, you know, shoot the gun, right? So, you know, is the parent then there, you know, not you know, the adult, not partially or actually not partially, totally responsible for making sure that safety is followed? When you're putting your hands on a deadly weapon, you, you're following every rule of precaution to make sure you treat it as such, it's a deadly weapon. So she put her hands on it, she knew it was there. And yeah, you're, it's your home, it's your castle, your dwelling. It's not someone else's responsibility as much as it is hers. So I don't buy that, um, uh, you know, the floodism of poppycock, I think that is a poppycock defense. It just doesn't, it doesn't sell that it would only be the husband. We're talking about the Jennifer Crumbly case with attorney Todd Flood on uh, WJR Morning. Todd, let me ask you, uh, should they have introduced that uh, the the affair because they they tried to keep, they wanted to keep it out. They won that that you know they want to keep it out. The defense kind of brought it up. So now the prosecution is going to go really after her in this cross-exam. How is that going to play a part and affect the jury that this affair comes up? Can they well they look at this as like, okay, she was, you know, having an affair and that and and that could be an issue. Took her eye off the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's possible that, you know, that the jury can look with a jaundiced eye um, on the affair and, you know, um, that she is uh, a liar by uh, 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 or doesn't have, doesn't come with the necessary, you know, when do we know she's lying up on the stand? You lied to your husband, you lied to your family. How do, is there some tell we have that we can get from you when you're, you know, not telling the truth? Um, so, you know, I can definitely see a cross-examination is, you know, you, you, you don't have morals, you have rules, and the rule is what's in the best interest for you, right? So I can see that cross taking place. That's where I'd kind of go with it a little bit. But um, I, I, I am very interested in it. I am going to go. I do have to be in Oakland County Circuit, so I am going to uh, stop in and watch the portion of the cross-examination today because I think there's so much fodder for um, cross-examination. The, the affair in and of itself is, is one part, um, and the defense brought it up and brought it in, uh, even though in, in the beginning Judge Matthews kept it out. Right. For the prosecution, defense opens that door. Maybe they were trying to make her human. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was humanizing her to some extent. But um, the, the 
Paramore in the case, he, he basically threw her under the box. Um, when he testified, he didn't, he didn't uh, you know, the text messages were to him after the shooting, you know? Uh, so it was very odd, yeah. very strange. That, that, that was the confidant. Didn't reach out to the husband, reached out to the right. boyfriend. One right, the... right, exactly. Exactly, it's kind of odd. So, yeah. you know. The other, and the other question, and, first question I know that you'd be asking is, when you heard about your son's troubled artwork, why didn't you <laughs> tell everybody about the gun that was at the home? Um, Todd, we will, uh, we'll look forward to that cross-examination as eagerly as you will, and uh, we'll have a chance to talk about it Monday. You got it. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. You too. You too. Todd Flood, attorney and managing partner at Flood Law. When we come back, a survey of auto dealers with a devastating message for President Joe Biden. Gotta say, guys, we we kind of missed it on the wear red for women's health today. <laughs> I I don't think my bloodshot eyes uh, count, <laughs> uh, but it, it is an important uh, gesture uh, to talk about why uh, we should be wearing red today and that uh, heart disease is the number one and so often a silent killer of yes. women because women so often will power through and neglect their own health and the warning signs and, and the warning signs are different for women. It is. Yeah. And, you know, shortness of breath, tightness or whatever, women are probably like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. And sometimes. I know many women who've done that and, and the result has not been great so you have to listen to your body and if you think something's wrong there's no harm in calling absolutely your doctor not. and sometimes yeah. you know they, they it feels like indigestion with women it, right exactly yeah it's different which they will then instantly blame on their spouses <laughs> and, and justifiably so i might add um the the auto dealers are headed to vegas for the uh, national association uh dealer meeting and uh, our good friends at the Automotive News ran a survey of those auto dealers as they headed to this big uh, get-together. 83% of dealers surveyed said the Biden administration is moving way too quickly when it comes to force-feeding EVs on the car-buying public uh, and, and saying that it's just not working. When they were asked, are EVs at your dealership generating a lot of consumer interest or sales? 55% said they're not interested in not buying. 32% said they're interested but not buying. That brings you to 87%. Only 13% said customers are interested in buying. Um, and I would imagine that that's, that's an average you may see more with some brands. Obviously, Tesla would be off the charts. Right. And, and Kia and Hyundai, probably a little bit more so. But American dealers, not seeing a lot of, of traffic. Oh. And they say 62% the Biden administration has negatively affected my business in 2023. I wonder if they get more traffic if it was more plug-in hybrids. Well, and that's why that's, they, they do believe that, which is why in letters to the Biden administration and also pressure that they have been exerting internally upon the manufacturers, they've been saying, please give us another option. Mm -hmm. Give us a bridge option of a plug-in hybrid Bring, bring back the Volt, or better yet, something like it in an SUV and crossover package. Mm -hmm. Something that consumers actually want. Yes. Let me ask you a question. All of these mandates are for later than now. So how does it affect their business this year? Because they, they're they already phasing out some popular models. and they're the So the popular it, models aren't available today? In some cases. Okay. Um, 
plus the, the you know, a lot of this has to do with the tailpipe emission standards that begin in 27. So that's only three years out. If people aren't showing more interest now with all the incentives, incentives that right. they're throwing on this, right. here's the other thing that I found shocking. Um, the dealers have to file with the IRS to get the credits and transfer credits for their consumers. Only 48% have even bothered to register. So they're not even doing their own due diligence to try to put the framework in place to encourage their own customers and give them the some of the tools to make some money back uh, on those choices. Uh, 30% said that they do plan to. They just haven't done it yet. And to your point, that may be because some of these things are happening down the pike. But um, this is no longer a, a question of, well, this is just a momentary lapse they have seen a dramatic fall off in interest and demand. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, yesterday, uh, while the president was in town and uh, t- taking his victory lap on the endorsement from the UAW, uh, saying once again that he is, uh, is li- the labor candidate, uh, competing protest across town in Dearborn, yes. where a group calling itself Abandoned Biden was getting together. Their leader is a gentleman named Khalid Tarani, who says, we are off the Biden bus. The level of disconnect of this administration is, is really beyond the pale, and, and it, is, it is absolutely disgusting. Joe Biden is right now beyond, beyond repair, beyond redemption, as far as we are concerned and as far as our campaign is concerned. Uh, so the abandoned Biden campaign is, is, seeks to make Joe Biden a one-term president. Now, when they ask him, if, if you're not voting for Joe Biden, does right. that mean you're voting for Donald Trump? Most of them said no. They will be voting for the word ceasefire or free Palestine. Which oh. logistically means one of the two men are still going to win. So what's better for you personally? It, exactly. It ends up being a protest vote. Um, and and this, this could change. There's been a lot of hand-wringing and that this could cause uh, Biden to lose Michigan. I think the larger problem for him is the erosion of support and there's the general indifference on the part of the black community Yeah, where kicked, there are many, many more votes. Yeah, he kicked off his visit yesterday um, with some black faith leaders at a uh, restaurant in Harper Woods before he went to uh, Warren uh, to be with the UAW. Yeah, but I, one of the other things, that the black community has been asking for an audience with people from the White House to explain what they want. They keep sending campaign people not the decision makers within the White House. Um, Adolph Mongo with a piece uh, in the Detroit News today saying uh, this is going to be a real problem for Joe Biden. We, they, people are just not at all motivated. And uh, this is in, in, you know, in, in spite of uh, his affiliations with the union. He mm-hmm. certainly hasn't been a shrieking violent on civil rights. Uh, but they also are looking at immigration as a big problem yeah. uh, in, in these inner cities across the country. And immigration, uh, we should see the text of the Senate bipartisan immigration bill. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, who is a hardliner on immigration, was the lead negotiator on this. He says this narrative that will allow 5,000 illegals a day is just flat out wrong. Well, OK, then show us the money. Show us the text. Yeah. Show us where that is a misrepresentation. Perhaps we'll see something later today. Schumer's promising a vote uh, later on next week. Then there's the problem in the House. (laughs) 
Right. Right. Where um and, and, and you know, and it is a problem in the House because if you rail about immigration, but you could reduce it by thirty, forty, maybe fifty percent with this imperfect but at least incrementally progressive bill, it moves the ball forward. Um, aren't you betraying border security for a political yes. advantage? And that and if it's perceived that way with voters, that could haunt Republicans uh, coming back as well. You've lost your credibility on one of your key issues. You could have, you could have fixed, fixed it, it partially. That's right. At the at the very least. If you've got one of these Sky Miles cards or something like that through American Express and Delta, there have some big changes to how those rewards are going to be uh, sent out to you. We're going to talk to our points guy. Lots of folks, whether it's spring break or just the the normal winter getaways, uh, looking to use those rewards and use those miles. Is it going to be harder to use through Delta? We'll be talking to our points guys. Also just ahead, going to be talking with Debbie Dingle. Legislation in the House, who knew this was a problem, that donated organs could be infected with tuberculosis because there is no screening for it inexplicably. We'll talk about solutions for that as well, just ahead on JR Mornings, where we, you know, try to find solutions to those things. (laughs) Thank goodness it is Friday. It is February 2nd. The market all looking uh, in the green in terms of uh, the futures, both on S&P and the DJ, after kind of an up and down week, as uh, there was some disappointing news from the Fed in that they didn't make any news about when they're going to cut interest rates. There is, though, a January jobs report that we're going to be watching that comes out a little over an hour and a half from now. It's projected to show that hiring increased by just 180,000 last month, down from the 250,000, 15,000 gain we saw in December. So hiring slowing a bit. Uh, while that sounds like bad news, that is what the Fed wants to see before they begin cutting interest rates again. So it's one of those The bad news will actually be good news, and we'll pass that along to you when it comes down. But we're expecting an unemployment rate of around 3.8% as a result of that jobs report. Meantime, uh, we were worried about the hiring trends in NFL football, and this fell our way. Yeah, I mean, the price of being good is that your coordinators usually get hired to other teams, but the Lions are going to run it back, as they say, with the same folks. Ben Johnson had five interviews in the offseason. He decided to stay. We knew that. And as of yesterday, Aaron Glenn will also be back on the defensive side of the ball. He had four interviews. And it became official yesterday when the commanders hired former Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. So Lions are intact as they try and replicate and improve on their 14-6 and season. You know, these guys are good. Under Johnson, the Lions were top five in total scoring, passing all that. And then the Lions' defense improved second half of the season under Glenn. How much was Ben Johnson like a domino effect? Well, I think think Aaron Glenn would have taken a job. He's wanted one. He's been on interviews. But since the the jobs are not there anymore, he's happy to come back to a team that's on the precipice of possibly a Super Bowl. No, their their market... Value is only going to increase here if mm-hmm. this team does well. And think about what this does to our free agent appeal, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the fact that this nucleus of very respected coaches is still going to be there. Yeah. That's a big help. It's Super Bowl or bust. 
Yeah, that yeah, is it I agree. Next which, year. which was said by uh, a, a very familiar figure yesterday, Jim Harbaugh, saying that's mission number one is a Super Bowl as he accepted his $80 million five-year deal. That sounds nice. That's yeah. Wow. Significantly higher than we, the $11 million yeah. that they were offering at the University <laughs> of Michigan. He said it out loud many a time. He wants a Lombardi trophy, that's so it. he went to go chase it. Uh, meantime, uh, kind of a uh, watershed moment in, in terms of the fan experience at the University of Michigan today. They're going to be beginning uh, alcohol sales at both Chrysler and then later on this weekend at Yoast Ice Arena. Unsure yet whether they're going to be offering it at the big house in the fall or we're going to wait and see how things go here. But I think it's there's a two-drink limit, so it won't be uh, Katie bar the door in terms of your oh alcohol consumption at the uh, at these college venues we knew this was coming they approved it and um it started at other venues last season so here we go let's see what happens yeah meantime um we will get cross-examination today it will be tough on jennifer crumbly as she tried to paint the rosiest of pictures about her family life and about the many troubles that her son had kind of painting him as just like any other rebellious team. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she took the stand yesterday, and with emotional gravity, she recounted the days and moments leading up to the shooting. I've asked myself if I would have done anything differently, and I wouldn't have. If you could change what happened, would you? Oh, absolutely. I wish he would have killed us instead. Now, yeah. that, that, that came at the end of the very end of testimony. Hours of testimony. Yeah. yeah. So how scripted did that <laughs> moment feel in, the, in, in that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They practiced that line. They figured absolutely. out that line, and that's how they ended the whole You know, it was, it was, it was, to, to, it was to give that gravity there. And in her testimony, she revealed that her son never sought help for his mental health, despite indications in his messages. Did you ever believe that your son needed mental health treatment? No, I mean, there's a couple of times where Ethan expressed anxiety, not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional. Dismissive of her son's alarming messages about seeing and hearing strange things, she brushed them off as just mere antics. She uh, also distanced herself from her husband's involvement with firearms. Responsible for storing the gun. My husband is. It was more his thing. She recounted the morning of the shooting, highlighting a meeting with a school counselor where no red flags were raised. Despite her son's stress, they agreed he should stay in school. And Crumbly passed off the counselor's assertion of an abrupt end of the meeting, claiming that it just concluded naturally. Then, despite the horrors that transpired, she maintains she would not alter her parenting approach. And as that trial continues this morning, Guy in Oakland County Circuit Court. Prosecutors are set to cross-examine Jennifer Crumbly. And one of the things that prosecutors are likely to point out is, well, you didn't seem very concerned about your son's mental health, but your purse looked like a pharmacy, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. were dropping Xanax oh. to go to sleep the night that the SWAT teams came in because they they were so anxious. They had medications for their anxiety. They had remedies for their uh, depression. Why didn't they do the same for their son? I think cross-examination is going to be tough for her. Very brutal. Very tough for her today. With question number one being, when you were confronted with that artwork, you may have thought it was an act of defiance on the part of your son. But as the school officials are saying we're worried about self-harm, why wouldn't you say to them, well, we do have a gun in the home? Uh, Your lover 
said it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He, he says, well, what about the, the gun? Yeah. You know? Now, she says that he was confused about that, that he was asking about the gun in a different context, not from that morning, that morning meeting on the day of the shooting. He was confused. Mm. Uh, and that should be easily disproven with the timestamps on the texts between the two of them. Also, if I'm a juror and she's asked, um, would you do anything different? How do you say no? I would not do anything differently. Exactly. With the result that, and why you're sitting there right now and these lives and that were kids lost. are gone. You yeah. can still say, yes, I would do things differently and still defend yourself. Right. Goodness and you would have gracious. had some credibility because you do right. have 2020 hindsight. Because now you right. just seem very cold. Right. You just seem very cold. And almost, yeah, and almost defiant in, in your um, certainty of how you addressed your son's mm-hmm. things. Um, and yes, you know, all the texts about the horses. Well, the horses were old. They needed a lot of care. Um, well, you know what? So, uh, did, so your, did your son. So did your son. Mm-hmm. Uh, 712 on News Talk 760 WJR. Uh, when we come back, going to be talking about the points on those Sky Miles cards. First of all, what's happening to the fees? They're going up. Are the benefits going up as well? We'll find out with our points guy next on JR Morning. Meantime, let's do WJR's Business Beat, brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation. You remember last year when Delta made changes to the Sky Miles program? Part of those changes required Delta customers to spend large sums of money on airfare or on the card to get elite status. They were going to restrict how you got into the lounges. What well, led to huge backlash and the hashtag done with Delta? Yesterday, American Express rolled out several updates to its Delta Sky Miles credit cards, hoping to win customers over. Break it all down for us is Nick Ewan, director of content for the Point Sky. Good morning, Nick. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. I am a Sky Miles American Express person. So tell me, how does this affect me? Well, I think the biggest thing to note is that uh, for those who already have your cards, your next renewal starting May 1st, you are going to have a higher annual fee. So that applies to the gold cards, the platinum cards, and the reserve cards. But in exchange for that higher annual fee, you are going to have some new statement credits that you can use to offset purchases that hopefully you're already going to be making. Of course, whether or not that is going to be a net benefit for you depends on how you typically use your card and where you spend your money. So what are the credits? Give us There's flight credits involved, isn't there? So, yeah, it depends on the card that you have. If you have the gold card, you now have an elevated Delta flight credit. So when you spend $10,000 a year on your card, in the past you would get $100 to use towards a future Delta flight. Now it's a $200 credit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then on the platinum card, you're now going to have $120 every year in rideshare credit for things like Uber and Lyft. That's going to be for U.S. services. That's going to be $10 per month. 
And then you also have $120 in resi credits for restaurant bookings, again, valid at US restaurants and it's $10 per month. And then on the reserve card, it's gonna be also $120 for rideshare and then 240 for resi. So that's $20 per month. So again, if you use these services, it's great. If not, then that annual fee might really lead you to reconsider keeping the card. Well, and how much is the annual fee going up? How much will it offset that $100 to $200 boost in benefits? Well, again, it depends. The gold card is going from $99 to $150. The platinum is going from $250 to $350. And then the reserve is going from $550 to $650. So, uh, again, those credits do offset those perks a decent amount. But, again, if you are, live in an area where maybe there aren't a lot of resi restaurants or you're not typically using Uber or Lyft or other rideshare credits, then those perks are not really going to be of added value. That's not why we signed up. We signed up to get the miles so we could get free flights, right? Right, and get in the lounge. Yeah, and that's really what's interesting is a lot of credit card issuers, American Express in particular, is really moving away from just travel and trying to expand into other areas of their cardholders' lives and capture more of their spend, more of their activity. And the thought being, the more they engage with spending on the card with Delta, the more they're potentially going to be even more loyal to the airline by earning those miles, getting closer to status. Of course, there are a lot of people that are really focused on the miles and don't care about these lifestyle benefits. Um, but can we talk about Boeing now and just sort of the backlash after what happened, obviously, with that door plug that was very scary and the CEO, Dave Calhoun, saying there are serious challenges going forward when it comes to confidence. But accepted responsibility, yeah, yeah. which least, was refreshing. Yes, correct. Yeah, of course. And, you know, look, I, I understand that this came out of nowhere, and there are obviously some deficiencies in not just Boeing, but also with their suppliers. I really hope that the CEO is serious. I know the FAA has restricted them from actually going, expanding their production of the 737. So I think there are going to be some additional challenges and some additional delays. And they're also facing headwinds with their customers, not the flyers, but the airlines. You know, United Airlines now look really looking to pivot away from the 737 and looking more at Airbus planes. So this is really, I think, going to have a long-term impact. This is not resolved now, and it won't be anytime soon. Nick, do we have? To, are we just going to have to wait till the NTSB comes out with their, um, you know, investigation before they can, you know, really do something to get the 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 customers, you know, back on their side again because they're a little weary. Yeah, I think first and foremost, the more transparent that they can be, the better. And I think it's great that the Boeing CEO is accepting responsibility. You know, they are really looking hard at their production facilities. It's going to take time, even once the, the FAA is done with all of their inspections and, you know, everything, you know, is supposedly back to normal. I think they are going to have to really be transparent about the steps that they are taking to ensure that the planes that they are putting in the sky, regardless of whether they're 737s or others, are fully safe and our uh, customers can fly them with confidence. What will the the fallout be from the spiking of the JetBlue Spirit merger? So many members of the flying public looking to JetBlue for those reduced fares. Same thing with Spirit. Um, and, And the fact that this would have at least kind of stabilized their existence going forward. What will the end result be for the the, the more bargain uh, conscious flyer? I think it's all going to depend on how things shake out, whether you know things are are fully terminated, if there is some kind of reboot. I think we will continue to see a push toward consolidation. 
um, you know, and, and whether that actually impacts the, you know, how that impacts the customer really remains to be seen. Spirit has for long, a long time been that kind of outlet for those low fares, but they're also struggling financially. So I think that this could be, you know, a really challenging time for them. I think JetBlue has seen a lot of success expanding internationally. So I think Spirit was probably more uh, excited uh, about this merger or it was a little bit more necessary to them. So we will see, but you know, I think the where the Justice Department said this was not good is we don't want to reduce that choice. We still want to give folks uh, the chance to choose Spirit or JetBlue as rather rather than a combined entity. What about Frontier? Because they're a discount airline as well. Yeah, and Frontier has also uh, expanded, you know, their operations quite significantly. We talk about changes to their loyalty program. Frontier also implemented some new changes. They're really trying to, you know, attract customers that are not just looking for those bargain fares. Um, you know, I think that there's going to continue to be a need for some of these niche, smaller airlines serving these routes that the majors don't serve. I mean, just in the last several years, we've seen a Velo. Uh, we've seen Breeze really, you know, ramp up their operations. So I think there is room for these low-cost airlines to continue to operate. They just need to make sure that they're clearly selling their their value proposition and doing their best to be as reliable as possible. Because I think there are a lot of people that are wary of flying some of them. Because if a plane only is flying a single or a city pair three times a week, if your flight gets canceled, you can't just get rebooked or rerouted through another hub. And, you know, I think that's a definite concern that they have from a marketing perspective. Just really quickly, this is the end of the segment, but I heard there's a day that's the cheapest day to book a flight. Is that true? That is a myth, especially okay. now with all of the uh, uh, algorithms that these airlines use. Uh, the best thing really is to use a flight tracker like Google Flights, uh, Capital One Travel integrates with Hopper, and that really will allow you to track to, to really tell you when the best time is to book your specific flight on the specific date that you want to travel. Thank you so much, Nick Ewan, Director of Content for The Points Guy. We appreciate all the information. Yep, thanks so much for having me. All right, take care. By the way, something nice that Aiden Hutchinson is 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 doing, uh, the defensive lineman for the uh, for the Lions is helping to send a Delaware veteran to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. They He's part of a program that has arranged for travel uh, that a VFW member, a guy named William Russ Hall, was chosen by the VFW. He's a, he's an Eagles fan, but Hutch is involved in this and will be spending time with him at the Mandalay Bay Resort ahead of the big game. Kudos that's to the right. Hutchinson family yeah, for all great. they do. Sweet and that, that's a, through USAA. Nice organization doing nice things for our veterans. When we come back, making sure that transplant organs are safe.
Bipartisan legislation to help prevent the spread of tuberculosis through transplanted human cell and tissue products has been introduced by a group of lawmakers from Michigan after an outbreak last year of tuberculosis and transplanted bone graft material led to serious health complications and deaths for patients across the country, including here in Michigan. And also given the recent events surrounding President Biden's visit to Michigan and the growing tensions over U.S. support for Israel's actions in Gaza, we thought it'd be valuable to welcome back to the JR Morning Show Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, representing Michigan's 6th District. Congresswoman, good morning. Good morning to all of you. I hope it's Groundhog Day, so happy Groundhog Day. <laughs> and Phil, Feels like it Phil too. apparently yep. did not see his shadow, so it's going to be an early spring. That's the latest from NBC. And now we're all immensely relieved with that. Yes, we are. We can go forward with our lives. Now, about 150... Uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrators, Congresswoman, they were protesting outside that Warren Union Hall yesterday. Uh, you know, they, they're upset that they haven't had a dialogue with the president. Is he planning on meeting with our uh, Arab community anytime soon? Have you spoken to him about it? Have you guys had some type of conversation? So, first of all, I think any conversations between me and the president are private. Um, I want to say to you that yesterday was a good trip. Uh, he fully understands uh, the concerns of the Arab American community probably did not understand as, how do I say, I, it was very emotional. And uh, there are a lot of things that are happening diplomatically. The White House recognizes that they need to be bringing their policy people in and having conversations with the community. You're going to see this happen. This community, is, I mean, I, I talked to the president very candidly. I lived in Dearborn for 40 years. Uh, and it, it was, uh, I think you're going to, there are many things that are happening diplomatically that cannot be spoken about. Mm -hmm. I, we're, this community is losing people. It's got so many family members over there. They have no place to live, have no food. They have no water. I told him, it was a private conversation, but I told him about how I have constituents who call me crying because they don't even have salt water. People can't even imagine people without water. So uh, I, 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 I know that there will be active engagement by the White House with the community, with policymakers, and um, I think he understands all sides of the issue. Congresswoman, I believe you mean they don't have fresh water, correct? And that's, well, right, but yeah. you understand, if you're talking to people over there, you don't, I, this isn't one conversation I have. I've had this conversation with seven or eight people in the last three or four weeks who were calling me who are drinking salt water because it's mm. the only water that are available. Right. Right. And they're in tears. I have a doctor who's a surgeon at the University of Michigan who's got his father, his stepmother, and have siblings over there who understands the health dangers. I, I cannot tell you, look, what Hamas did was a terrorist act, but what's happening in Palestine, more than 30,000 people have died. More than 12,000 children have died. Mm -hmm. We have to get humanitarian aid there. And we're not getting enough in. So it's complicated, but the president has to show that he really does, under, which he's going to, uh, talk more about how he does know what's going on there and how it Well, happened. can he redeem himself? Yesterday we heard this group called Abandon Biden that said he's beyond redemption. We, we don't need to hear anything more from him. 
But here's my follow-up question to that. There was this protest inside Fordson High School, and there's this quote that the president could make a phone call tomorrow and put an end to all of us. He has chosen not to. Is that oversimplified? Way oversimplified. Uh, I wish that foreign policy was this easy. I mean, when, you know, look at what's happening in too many other countries overseas. The world's in a very dangerous place. Uh, I, I mean, I have some very strong feelings on some things that would happen, and I'm not going to should happen. Um, I mean, we all support a two-state solution. Palestine people have to have a place to go. Uh, we got Netanyahu saying, you know, he's not going to support a two-state solution. That's all got to be dealt with. But you can't just make one phone call. There are things that are happening. I think you're going to see more things happening. I was clear that this community wants to see a ceasefire and won't be open. But I, And I don't want to get... I, for me, this isn't about getting... The voices of, I think, the community deserves respect. It needs to be listened to. But it's about saving the lives of the people that are in Gaza and Palestine right yeah. now. And they want to and hear from a past future. And it shouldn't be politicized right now. Right. It should be go straight forward. And I'm not, I mean, if you look at all the things that Donald Trump has said, uh, from calling them vermin to that they poison the blood of this country, they should be deported. He's not got the Muslim ban. But I, that's, let's have that discussion further down the road. Let's, get the people of Palestine safe. Right. The, innocent, the children. The innocent, yeah. yes, especially the children. And as I keep saying to people, a Jewish baby and a Palestinian babies are both babies. Mm-hmm. Children mm-hmm. should be able to live safely mm-hmm. with food and health care. And the, in the store, I, these are people here that live here, are our neighbors right. who, I mean, one man's lost 30 Family members, the the surge. There's a group of doctors going over um, to do an emergency medical mission, taking supplies with them. Their lives are in danger doing this. It's we've got to we've got to end what's going on over there right now and find a permanent path to peace. But that permanent path to peace, we don't want terrorism. You cannot you cannot condone what Hamas did in any way, shape, or form. But innocent people are dying on both sides. We are seeing some bipartisan action on this uh, transplant bill. And uh, it it, it is astonishing, Debbie, that a transplant organ is not tested for tuberculosis. What will this legislation do? And again, it it appears you have folks from both sides of the aisle. John Molinar and I have been doing this together. Um, Actually, he, he did not totally realize this. A doctor from the University of Michigan called me because he told me about this patient that had died. And John, someone who works for John, it was his sister. The doctor told me what was going on. I called John. He said, I'm all in. He didn't have all the, you know how I am. And I was very sensitive on the issue because with the infection that I had in my jaw, as you may remember, I had to have a number of bone marrow transplants, uh, not bone marrow, but uh, bone grafts. Uh, there and it was the second time that this particular company had done it and it just people are getting bone grafts when you have some serious mouth surgery uh, when you're having back you know it's in a number of places that it should be tested and people shouldn't be subject to death so she got TB in the bones and it went to her brain and she died so John and I are two people that work together on many things and this is one thing that's very personal to us in Michigan because of the people that have been involved and we're going to get it done. 
Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, always a pleasure having you here on JR Morning. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks to the three of you. I love you, and I love listening to you. (laughs) Thank you. And you know that legislation uh, guy is named in honor of Chandra Isinga of Marion in Osceola County. She passed away uh, in August of last year from post-surgical tuberculosis Mm. after receiving an infected grant. So it's called the Chandra Isinga Human Cell and Tissue Product Safety Act. Can you imagine the family here? She died of what? Right. (laughs) Right. This seems like common sense, so kudos to getting this through. And bipartisan as well. Yeah, Yeah, which happens a lot more than probably either side uh, (laughs) lets us know sometimes. But it's good to see when we come back. The Department of Transportation wants your input, and they're willing to give you a little reward for it, or at least they were. Uh, We'll talk about how best to fund roads next on JR Morning. Time for Automotive Views, brought to you by Bridgestone. Getting people down the road matters, but getting generations down them, that's what really matters. Bridgestone, visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Do you like going to the auto dealership to buy a new car? Maybe not, but would a company store really be a better experience? In the wake of Tesla's success as an EV maker and stock market phenomenon, many Tesla wannabes have popped up. They want to do only EVs, and most of them want to sell directly to consumers. But here's the thing. Building out a national retail and repair network is expensive, time-consuming, and not at all related to designing and manufacturing automobiles. Now, a couple of startups are rethinking that plan. Fisker had a long line of hand raisers for its ocean crossover, but it's been able to deliver far fewer than it's made. And Vietnamese startup VinFast is also taking on dealers to try to establish its brand in this market. Tesla is a one-of-a-kind company. Other new entries might be wise to find their own path and let someone else work with the customers. With this week's Automotive View, I'm Jamie Butters, host of the Daily Drive podcast and executive editor of Automotive News. Indians, ask folks how we ought to fund our roads um, and ask them, geez, are you willing to spend more because we are underinvesting in our pavement infrastructure? And of course, with the advent of EVs, uh, they don't pay a gas tax. So how do we make sure that they're not free riding just through slightly elevated registration fees? The state of Michigan, inquiring minds there, want to know and are asking for your input. WGR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joining us live with how that's going. Hi there, Marie. Yeah, they asked, and boy, did they ever get it. So this is a topic we've often discussed right here on WJR. Should Michigan change or get rid of the gas tax? Now the Michigan Department of Transportation is asking for the public's input. The department has opened a usage survey where residents can weigh in. MDOC Director Matt Freerick says this is being done with an eye to the future with more EVs on the road and cars with improved fuel economy, less revenue will come in from fuel taxes in the future. That, of course, will ultimately impact how we repair our roads. So he says right now EV drivers don't pay fuel taxes, but they do pay a higher fee for registration. But those fees just won't make up the lost revenue on fuel taxes. One possible funding tool is road usage charges. So that means drivers would pay a few cents for each mile driven versus paying based on how much gas they buy. 
Charging based on miles uh, driven could make the system more fair for drivers who can't afford newer or maybe those fuel-efficient cars, while also making sure that the state continues to have the resources to maintain the roads in the future. So the survey is being uh, funded by a federal grant. If you'd like to weigh in, you can go to michigan.gov forward slash myroadcharge. michigan.gov forward slash myroadcharge. Now, People were supposed to get a uh, gift card, a $10 gift card if they participated. So they thought this would help generate people, uh, give them an incentive to uh, participate. Well, so far they've received 22,900 total responses. They only had 12 to 16,000 gift cards. So (laughs) now they're saying, sorry, you can't get the gift card. By the way, this runs until uh, uh, this particular... um, survey runs until march 1st so they not still have time they're asking people please you know weigh in you're just not going to get a gift card did they not expect they were going to get a lot of people and you know make sure they had enough gift cards it's funny isn't it <laughs> that they didn't realize because this is you know people love talk we know that here at wjr people love talking about this yes it it you know i think anything just judging on the, the listener calls that we used to get in the afternoon when we would raise this issue a lot of people are totally on board with making this a total use tax. The more you use the roads. But how does that work? Right. How do you, and, and while maintaining privacy, are you going to have, you know, basically uh, a bot riding shotgun in your right. t- car telling the state where you're driving and exactly. whether it's on a county road or a state trunk line? Because that makes a difference. That's true. You know, it's not just how much you're driving, but where you're doing that driving that will make a difference as well. Coming from Pennsylvania, I, it's weird to me that there aren't toll roads. I was going to bring yeah. that up too. Yeah, no toll roads here. They had talked about that for a little while. but And they're still talking about it. Okay. But there's a lot of resistance to that because it's just not part of our transportation mix here. Right. Um, and, and there's a lot of folks who are saying, look, we've paid enough. That We just had a gas tax increase not that long ago under Snyder. Mm-hmm. We don't need to pay any more, and we don't see any evidence that the money that we're spending towards it gives us lasting roads anyway. And there's just a lot of mistrust there about whether or not the, the dollars are being spent wisely. But we do know we're underfunding to the tune of about $4 billion annually. If you know Whether it's the Snyder administration or the Whitmer administration, doesn't matter who's there. Mm-hmm. That's one thing they agree on. And with toll roads, we also should just uh, make the case that now they're all um, electronic now. So you mm-hmm. just you know you just drive down the road and you can uh, you have these easy passes mm-hmm. and you don't. I mean it. It's so easy now. You don't have to hire. You don't have to have the booths. You don't have to have uh, people taking money from you, cash money. I mean, it's just. Uh, you're just charged for it. So with that technology, I don't know, maybe they'll change their mind about a toll road. Well, and there's something else. I mean, I've heard from motorists that say, look, you can't charge me the same per mile uh, tax that you would an EV because the EVs are heavier and do or more an damage. Or 18-wheeler, right. Well, yeah. and then there's an, another associated cost that we didn't anticipate there, which was there was a NHTSA report that just came out and said the guardrails that we have that prevent semis from crossing over the median and into oncoming traffic because the semis that are going to be EVs in the future are so much heavier, those guardrails aren't doing the job. So we're going to need to upgrade that whole system. That's Who's going to pay for it? That's right. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. Well, no one said this is going to be an easy answer, you guys. <laughs> That's why they're asking. We like, no, us. we like to try to solve the problems of the world here. Well, and and the auto dealers are trying to tell the Biden administration we've got a solution: slow your friggin' roll on the EVs. Eighty-three percent in a new survey, according to the Automotive News, uh, that they asked a ton of dealers before they head out to Vegas for their annual convention. Where do you fall on EVs? And eighty-three uh, percent said you've got to slow it down, and eighty-seven percent said it's a drag on our business. People are coming in, can't afford them, aren't interested. They they are not in any way driving traffic. I think the issue, uh, just a personal opinion, is that is if is the cost. If they were mm-hmm. uh, lower in price, people would be knocking on the door. That's the problem. I still think you you also have that uh, infrastructure anxiety too. Yeah, where are you gonna right. where are you gonna right. charge? Yeah. Well, I you know I've driven uh, in uh, EV. I mean, I, we have a family member who has one and uses it a lot, and so I'm in it quite a bit. And um, that just is never a problem. I'll, I'll just be honest about that. That's not a problem. It's it's all there on your computer. It tells you where to go to get filled up, filled up if you will, or it, it, charged up. Um, so even on not, long trips, they they haven't yes, had the problem. Did, even on long, long trips, we we did a long trip. We did a long trip. Okay. Now they this person did have a problem one time on a long trip, so it was kind of interesting to see what happened there. I wasn't with them at that time, um, so it's not problem free. But that particular issue did not. All the times that I have been, this is personal um, experience, all the time that I've been in that vehicle for a long trip twice. And for just little short jaunts, we've never, ever had an issue. So I, my personal feeling is that if we made them more cost-effective for the consumer, they they would be coming in there. It's, it's, it's about the cost of the vehicle. There's no question there's a huge affordability issue. Uh, I would say that your experience is a good one, but it, it doesn't yeah, necessarily transfer can... to everybody. Yeah, we've talked to Henry right. Payne at the Detroit News, Joanne Muller, who's with Axios, who have had... Uh, some pretty problematic experiences yeah. on long trips. But there, see the debate the state has started about how to do it? You know it. And now they're not, uh, you can still participate in that survey. You just won't get that gas card. No uh, 10 bucks. No 10 bucks for you. When we come back, we'll get you updated on uh, all the headlines of the day, including the latest on the Crumbly trial. Also, how President Biden was... Uh, Received in the Arab community, it's all ahead on JR Morning for your TGI Friday. Ahead, we got the Plymouth Ice Festival, which is still one of the prettiest events out there, especially if you get a little sunshine on some Mm, of those sculptures, and Mm -hmm. and we are anticipating that. Yes, we are. This afternoon, uh, it will be warm enough that they will be pretty not so warm (laughs) that it will make them into a... An unsightly puddle. No, well, they should be okay. Plus, we got the Motown Winter Blast in uh, in Royal Oak, which will be uh, entertaining Both for a lot of families. Both things sound like great things. Take a little baby too, all bundled up. <laughs> you got it. That uh, rink at the at uh, in Royal Oak, Ro- Centennial Park, really well it done. It is at Centennial Park. There, yep. just really, really well done. It is February second. You know what that means? Morning. Love to see the groundhog. Yeah, I think it'll be an early spring. Didn't we do this yesterday? I don't know what you mean. No. <laughs> don't mess with me, pork chop. <laughs> what day is this? It's February 2nd. Groundhog Day. 
Indeed it is. And Puxatawney Phil has already crawled out of his hole there in uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, he did not see his shadow. And judging from the clouds outside the Fisher Building, not going to be many shadows mm. seen for whatever crawls out of holes. <laughs> <laughs> whatever uh, rodent you want to pick. Yeah. Well, there's the local. Woody. Like Woody. Woody yeah. out in Howell. And, and Mike Parsons actually uh, went to... Uh, <laughs> The trouble. Went to the trouble to to look into the success ratio, and, and apparently Woody has a much better prognostication accuracy rate than Punxsutawney Phil. Well, we haven't heard, though. Which well, we can be proud her. of that. We haven't heard from her yet. Yeah. In terms of uh, predictions around 830, we should find out what the January jobs uh, situation was. Uh, they are predicting that we will see less hiring in the month of January than we did in December, a significant drop-off which is one of those situations where the good news may be greeted as, I should say the bad news, may be greeted as good news on Wall Street because it will indicate that there will be less pressure on the Fed to hold those interest rates up. And already we're seeing a lot of the futures trending in the green ahead of the open at 930, so we'll see what happens there. But they're predicting the unemployment rate will be a little bit higher, about 3.8%, something the Fed has been looking for before dialing back. Meantime, we've got some new numbers in, a new uh, South Carolina poll showing Nikki Haley trailing former President Donald Trump 58% to 32%. Uh, Her support, 10 points less than what she had in New Hampshire. And remember what she said, we'll stay in the race as long as we see improvement. Well, as yet, even in her home state, she has not seen improvement over her New Hampshire numbers. Meantime, the dollars are still flowing in because a lot of Republicans are saying we still need to backstop ourselves in case there is a Trump conviction. And uh, there's a CNN poll showing that Republicans and Republican leaners, one out of four say, if there is a conviction, we will be jumping off of the Trump train. Hmm. Well, Jennifer Crumbly uh, took center stage in her trial for four counts of involuntary manslaughter stemming from the Tragic, tragic events at uh, Oxford High School with emotional gravity. She recounted the days and moments leading up to the shooting. I've asked myself if I would have done anything differently, and I wouldn't have. If you could change what happened, would you? Oh, absolutely. I wish he would have killed us instead. Wow. In her testimony, Crumbly revealed that her son never sought help for his mental health, despite indications in his messages. Did you ever believe that your son needed mental health treatment? No, I mean, there was a couple of times where Ethan expressed anxiety, not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional. Regarding concerning behavior at school, she said she was never informed, dismissive of her son's alarming messages about seeing and hearing strange things. She brushed them off as just mere antics. Crumbly also distanced herself from her husband's involvement with firearms. Who is responsible for storing the gun? My husband is. It was more his thing. She recounted the morning of the shooting, highlighting a meeting with a school counselor where she said no red flags were raised. Despite her son's stress, they agreed he should stay in school and probably passed off the counselor's assertion of an abrupt end to the meeting, claiming it concluded naturally. Despite the horrors that transpired, the uh, woman uh, J- uh, Jennifer Crumbly maintained she would not alter her parenting approach. And as the trial continues in Oakland County Circuit Court this morning, guys, prosecutors are set for the cross-examination of Jennifer Crumbly. 
You could just see where that defense attorney was leading her toward. And as Todd Flood said earlier today, there was just a two, there were answers for everything. And in life, there's nothing that perfect. So if you want to hear his point of view, you can go to WJR.com. Yeah, that it was it. quite scripted, including that final exchange where she said, well, we wish that he had killed us, <clears throat> which was, you know, a kind of an aha moment, but nevertheless came off as a little bit disingenuous. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, you know, has really nagged all of us, I think, as we put ourselves, our parent hat on here, is if we saw that drawing with a gun that said blood everywhere, my life means nothing. We would have said, I need to get this kid to someone right now. And the question was, for Crumbly, why didn't you see that as alarming? And she said, well, we had had this big blow up the night before about his math homework. She claims, and again, this seems like a contrived explanation, that she didn't see that artwork as alarming because she just saw that as more teenage rebellion over the argument that they had with the homework the night before. I saw in power school that he had an E in geometry. So we got an argument again about his grades. Um, we took his phone away and told him that he couldn't go to the shooting range until his grades, his grades were brought back up. When you got that math paper texted to you, do you recall saying anything to Ethan on the phone? On speaker. Yeah, I asked him why he did why why he did that. Okay, what were you thinking at that point? Um, I was actually I was actually kind of angry because I thought he was he did that in like defiance of us yelling him about missing assignments, and here he is drawing pictures on an empty assignment page in geometry. So you're not angry. You're, wow. you're angry, not alarmed by your child expressing this. Uh, sadness and this kind of willing to throw his life away. Mm -hmm. And then you never tell him about the the gun, something that she just conveniently sidestepped. Also not alarmed by pictures of bullets and when he got in trouble, you know, that whole she texts him back, don't get caught. Like her explanation for that was nuts too. And then she texts her lover and and texts the picture of the drawing. Right. And she claims that, well, no, that the, the prosecution had that all mixed up. That was about an earlier problem they had with him. That wasn't from that day. And so she didn't lie about the whereabouts of the gun then. Uh, she was talking about that earlier exchange. And it, it, again, um, a lot of things are going to be, I think, uh, fodder for cross-examination. Today. And the other yeah. question there is, okay, you just took it, you basically took the gun away from him, right? Mm-hmm. You said you're not going to be going, going to the, the, the range. Then why wasn't it in the gun safe? Right. Why didn't Secured. you? Why yeah. didn't you lock it up? You weren't cer- certainly going to be planning on using it. She's going to, again to. Well, I texted and say you guys mid afternoon yesterday. I go. She's going against the husband. She, yeah. Under oh. the bus. Oh yeah. Through, and and said, oh, we just followed the instructions of the school officials who said that well he would be better off at uh, at school. And there was testimony yeah. to that effect. But there was also testimony that they were surprised that they weren't going to seek help for this young man immediately. Uh, again, and, and still, she texted her uh, riding instructor and said, well, we're, we're not going to cancel my lesson tonight. Right. Would hate to cancel that. Yeah. Heaven forbid. Um, so this cross-examination will begin in about 15 minutes. Um, it'll be streaming uh, several places, but this has the potential to be a much more contentious uh, interlude between her and uh, Prosecutor Mark Keist. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to be talking about how the Biden administration may really be booting it when it comes to patents 
and how we can leverage those patents in the state of Michigan to build a foundation for new jobs and uh, new technological breakthroughs that can lead to new jobs. Why they're messing it up and what we can do about it. That's next on JR Morning coming up at 819. Uh, We've had some really brutal temperatures over the past couple of weeks. Yes, it's warmer now, uh, but if you lose heat, even in weather like this, it can still cause big problems, especially with nighttime temperatures being below freezing. You can have your pipes burst. This happened to Nick Roddy uh, just a couple of weeks ago in the midst of those single-digit temperatures. When his furnace went out and he did what we should all do in an emergency like that, he called CNC Heating and Air Conditioning. And uh, those folks were Johnny on the spot. Uh, They gave the kind of care for Nick that they will give to any of our WJR listeners. Uh, They showed up with their certified technicians, fully insured, and came through on that 24-hour emergency hotline guarantee and made sure that furnace was up and running very quickly. They've been doing this the right way for 75 years, and it's how they have earned the trust of so many families throughout southeast Michigan. So during these cold months, make sure you get that furnace tuned up. Make sure you take advantage of the CNC heating and air conditioning carrier cool cash savings. If you need a new furnace, they can have it installed tomorrow. They are that good. It begins with a phone call, 800-MY-FURNACE. That's 800-693-8762. Visit cncheat.com. That's cncheat.com. Carrier, turn to the experts. So we have been blessed here in the state of Michigan to have several outstanding research universities and for the last 20 years under the by dole act when they have a patent uh, they get to keep the proceeds from that and it's led to uh, decades of development of very important breakthroughs they get to market quicker uh, because of that but now the biden administration wants to make a change uh, that a number in the industry think would be a giant step backward among them dr stephen rapundolo president and ceo of the Michigan Biosciences Industry Association, which has witnessed many of these breakthroughs really bear significant fruit. Dr. Rapundalo, good morning. Good morning. So uh, we, we seem to be riding a horse that is a very lucrative one. What is it the Biden administration wants to change and why? Yes. Well, so let me just take a step back and I guess explain to your uh, listeners uh, what is Bidol and this whole issue of margin rights. So as you said, Back in 1980, uh, Congress uh, passed bipartisan legislation that, for the first time, allowed research institutions like Michigan, Michigan State, and Wayne State and others that received federal funds, for example, from the National Institutes of Health, uh, to allow those institutions to patent uh, those inventions and then, in turn, license those inventions to private entities who would then start a company and commercialize those projects. products uh, to market, whether they be drugs or medical devices or what have you. Um, And really what that uh, created uh, was a whole, you know, era of innovation. And as I noted uh, in an op-ed in the Detroit News, uh, our research universities have benefited greatly. It has spurred, um, you know, a whole cottage industry in the biotech, pharmaceutical and medtech space here in Michigan. Uh, and now, as you say, uh, the Biden administration is trying to essentially rewrite 
the statute um, through uh, interpretations, and currently there's a public comment period that's about to close next week, um, seeking input on um, on what they're proposing to do. And, and Doctor, these universities are taxpayer-funded institutions. You got the University of Michigan, who um, you know is brought in the Badol has brought in more than two hundred and sixty-nine million to U of M in royalty revenues. What do the taxpayers get out of this? Well, uh, most you know to start with, uh, just um, the fact that new discoveries have been have been made. Um, they also uh, get um, that these companies um, are formed, um, that they uh, thrive, which means that there's an economic impact in terms of new employment, long-term, uh, you know, contributions to the local and regional economies. Um, so, it, and, and in our case, in the bio industry. Um, I think it's well over $40 billion uh, that goes into the Michigan economy. It employs 44,000 people directly. So there's there's a lot of benefit, aside from the benefit that ultimately uh, we all garner uh, from the products that are that are developed and make it to market to save lives and, you know, and change lives. Uh, Dr. Rapundalo, could you just clarify, what does the Biden administration want to change? What would be different? Yeah, so really what they focused in on was this so-called clause or provision in the Bayh-Dole Act that relates to uh, quote-unquote marching rights. And what Bayh-Dole did was um, they put in place this, this as a safeguard that basically says uh, the government could pull back uh, or relicense a patent uh, based on some very, very specific, four specific criteria and then turn around and relicense them to somebody else for essentially the greater good. Um, and what the Biden administration and, and other um, folks who are um, really um, uh, trying to uh, address so-called high drug prices uh, have basically said, well, the Bayh-Dole Act and the Marching Rights gives us the vehicle to do just that. If a company, if we think a company's drug prices are too high, then we should just be able to go in, take their patent away, and give it to somebody else who's going to make the same product for a less price. Well, the problem is that there's no such language or, or you know, allowance in the Bayh-Dole Act. And in fact, Senators Dole and Bayh have repeatedly said over the years that the Bayh-Dole Act was never intended to do that. Um, and um, so it's not in the statute, and the Biden administration would basically just reinterpret the law, which is, I think, uh, I'm no lawyer, but um, I think there would be some question on constitutional grounds about whether that could be done. Well, again, if, if you're going to uh, shorten the life of that patent, you're also disincentivizing the commercialization and ultimately a lot of the research dollars that are going to flow into these things if they don't think they're going to see a fair return on that, right? It undermines oh, the whole system. Oh, absolutely. And and this is not just for public universities. It's for any entity, uh, including nonprofits, that receive federal funds. So it could be uh, we have several nonprofit research institutes in the state um, and others. So, no, this would really completely blow up the innovation um, economy 
uh, and not just in the biosciences, but across other technology areas, and really kind of throw us back to pre-1980, where I think, if I remember correctly, less than 5% of the patents were, you know, were, were actively commercialized and licensed. I mean, it would just be uh, devastating, and it really would put us back uh, or put us behind other major research economies, and not the least of which the Chinese, um, you know, who are nipping at our heels. Is it a better way of uh, of, of doing this, Doctor, without, uh, you know, really having a, to to blow up the patent? Uh, yes, they should stick to what the law says. It was a very well-conceived uh, law. Um, it has been working with tremendous results and outcomes, um, not only for research uh, activities, but for people's lives. Um, you know, why, why, why um, you know, fix something that's not broken? Right, but you, uh, you would acknowledge, though, that the high drug prices are an issue. Can they be, is there a way we can address it through the patent system without upsetting the apple cart? Well, I think there are there are certainly grounds for uh, having a dialogue about supposed drug prices. Uh, some of that is going on in Congress as we speak. Encouraging uh, generics, uh, things like that? Encouraging generics, but also taking a look at the entire supply chain and who's involved and where's the money flowing. Um, you know, the everybody's quick to vilify, um, you know, the pharmaceutical uh, industry. But in fact, they're not the ones um, that control what you and I pay at the pharmacy. And so what goes on in between? And so I think Congress has begun um, to, to do that. Um, you know, solutions haven't been put in place just yet, uh, but that dialogue is occurring. And I think we need all the players around the table um, to participate in that discussion and then provide meaningful um, contributions towards, um, you know, towards a solution. Dr. Stephen Rapindalo, uh, the president and CEO of Michigan of uh, Biosciences Industry Association. We invite people to read your very thoughtful op-ed in the Detroit News, and we thank you for your time and your attention to this. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for we having me. appreciate it. You managed to simplify it so we can understand it, which mm. is no easy feat. <laughs> um, do, t- uh, do take care. You know, it. we saw this... With, with, you know, the, the uh, Hillary Clinton did this, where she beats up on the researchers and developers for being greedy, but doesn't acknowledge the fact that you wouldn't even have these drugs were it not for the profit incentive that is there. Kill that, you're going to kill the research. We'll be back. The jobs report is in, and Punxsutawney Phil would have done a better job predicting hiring for the month of January than the so-called expert is. They were looking at 180,000 in hiring. It was 350,000 new hires in the month of January. Hiring was double what the prognosticators said it was going to be. So our unemployment rate falls to 3.7%. Hiring much more robust than predicted. What does that mean? Well, it shows that the economy is still pretty doggone hot. And that might make the Federal Reserve think twice or postpone Mm -hmm. those interest rate cuts that so many of us have been looking forward to. So uh, the January jobs report, many more jobs added than expected. Good question. How did they miss Good it by that question. much? They you looked. Know. They were. They were talking to the groundhog instead of uh, 
workers, apparently. But <coughs> yeah, that is a significant yes. whiff by uh, by the uh, Department of Labor. So we'll see what that means. Right now, the market's still trending in the green. Uh, they looked like they were going to get an extended rally today on what they thought was going to be a bit more of a pessimistic report. Right now, the DJ and uh, S&P are up. Uh, on uh, on the open for nine thirty, we'll see what happens after that. But uh, it's the good, it's good news, but it may mean bad news, and that we'll have to wait longer for that uh, interest rate cut. Well, guy, could there be a better birthday present than getting your seven hundredth victory against your rival? 81-62 when Michigan State men's basketball team beat Michigan. I want to talk to Coach about his historic Tuesday, but he's not quite with us yet. But we do have Steve Courtney, senior sports analyst Steve Courtney that, on the line. A little, <laughs> little softer. It's a thing now, Steve. I'm sorry. Senior. That's all right. You got to do what you got to do, James. Uh, like you know, a fact, fine wine. <laughs> there you go, guy. Always the voice of reason for crying out loud. Uh, good morning once again, everybody. This conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your Windows Roofing and Siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. I got to do it. Quite a performance by Tom Izzo and his Spartans Tuesday night at the Breslin Center taking care of that school down the street. 81-62 the final. Uh, Jaden Akins on fire. Seven, count them, seven three-pointers. Scored a career-high 23 points. A very complimentary second half for uh, Coach Izzo and his Spartans. And as you say, James, a milestone. Win number 700. As a matter of fact, Magnum T.I. becomes just the 38th men's coach to reach that 700-win milestone, including former Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski. He won a record 1,202 games. And according to Tom Izzo himself, um, that record is pretty safe. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh a nice challenge up next for the Spartans Saturday afternoon. Tomorrow, as a matter of fact, 530, uh, they will play host to the Maryland Terrapins. Interesting note, both these teams, identical records, 13-8 and eight overall, 5-5 five and five in Big Ten play. You go back to January 21st, Spartans with a nice road win at College Park, uh, knocking off the Terrapins 61-59. In that tilt, the lead changed hands. Ten times. A.J. Hogard, Tyson Walker, absolutely huge down the stretch. So, uh, yeah, it was an eventful night uh, for uh, Tom Izzo Tuesday night. And what he's most proud of, uh, having a chance to speak with him earlier in the week, uh, the fact that he did it at one school. Yeah. Uh, those days are long gone. Mm-hmm. Steve Arino, I mean, the, the difference of a half. I mean, U of M came out kind of just like, like flamethrowing in the first half, but it seems like MSU like put the defense on him and shut him down in the second half. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Jaden Akins, uh, through his performance, literally kept the uh, Spartans in this thing. And uh, I have somewhat of an idea uh, with the Spartans down by two at the half. Uh, I have an idea what Tom Izzo said. <laughs> Can you uh, say it on the air? No. A- absolutely okay. not. Um <laughs> Uh, but they certainly uh, got the message, and I thought that we saw in that second half 
what this uh, Spartan team is capable of. And uh, you take a look at the schedule, many under the impression uh, that the Spartans, if they play uh, like we know they're capable of, uh, can go undefeated in February. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, yeah, he's back to his milestone, Steve. He's the first guy to do it all at one school in the Big Ten. So that's pretty cool. And even Juwan Howard sort of gave him props at the end of the game as well, even though it's a rivalry. Yeah, look, there's a mutual respect there. And uh, right now, uh, Michigan basketball going through it a little bit. Uh, what we saw Tuesday night in East Lansing, kind of indicative of what Michigan has been all about this year. Um, playing extremely well in the first half, and then uh, things go sideways in the second. Uh, but you get back to uh, uh, Magnum TI and the 700 win thing. Uh, there are currently eight other active Division One men's uh, coaches with at least 700 wins. But, you know, what was so cool about that, uh, his wife Lupe on hand and uh, his son Stephen, very emotional uh, on the floor afterwards as the uh, celebration uh, began. And uh, obviously a bunch of former Spartans, uh, yeah. top-shelf individuals also chiming in. Izzo's a legend, eight Final Fours, winning it, all, winning it all in 2000, so hopefully he can get another one here sometime soon. Um, since we don't have Tom, let me ask you about the Lions. Can you believe all the coordinators came back? Uh, to be honest, no. Uh, you know, as we discussed, I think, earlier in the week, James, uh, you know, going into this postseason, uh, many had already penciled Ben Johnson in uh, as the guy in Washington. And... Uh, you know, it, it just didn't work out that way. And I think, uh, as he explained it, he had a conversation with his wife and the fam, and they really enjoy it here. And what's not to enjoy? Uh, beautiful state, and you've got a, a football program that's on the upswing. And then uh, Aaron Glenn uh, did not get the uh, Washington job, and uh, he is uh, going to be back in the fold as well. So, uh, look, the off season coming off an extremely disappointing weekend, uh, as we know. Uh, couldn't have worked out any better for Dan Campbell, that's for sure. Super Bowl or bust? I mean, at this point, you got the whole gang's back together. You add a couple free agent pieces, right, Steve? They have to at least make it to the NFC Championship and win it? Well, as Dan Campbell himself said, uh, the Lions going into next year have a target on their back. And uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, but, you know, first things first, general manager Brad Holmes uh, is looking, maybe as I speak, at a uh, pretty crazy list of uh, in-house free agents uh, that he has to uh, take a look at. Uh, among those, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> guard Graham Glasgow, who did such a great job, and the fact that Brad Holmes brought him in for last year proved to be absolutely valuable. Oh. Uh Glasgow saying that, yeah, Utility he, guy. Yeah, yeah, the Lions, well, Big V goes down, and he assumes that uh, right guard position, and he was pretty much there all year and did uh, admirably. Uh, he has said that the Lions would like to have him back, but it's going to cost him a little bit more money. Uh, we'll see what goes on there. Also, Jonah Jackson, your left guard, uh, he's got to be taken care of. Not to mention, and it's going to be very interesting, uh, the contract that quarterback Jared Goff gets. I don't think there's any doubt uh, that he is the long-term guy with the Honolulu Blue and Silver. Also, Amon Ross St. Brown uh, is going to be looking for some more Geetles, aren't we all? Yeah. So, so could Jared, uh, you know, give them a home team discount, maybe? No. Uh, and <laughs> so they could sign maybe more free agents. 
No, well, you know what? I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Jared seems to be uh, the epitome of a team guy, Lloyd. Um, so uh, how he goes about this, uh, again, it will be interesting. But, um, you know, I, I, let's just stop the noise of Hendon Hooker. Um, you know, Please. it remains to be seen. There are no guarantees at the quarterback position in the National Football League. Uh, clearly, he's a talented young guy. Um, but is he ready to assume uh, a team on the upswing? Absolutely not. You know, you go with the guy that got you there, and, um, you know, I agree. Jared Goff is that guy. Hey, how about the Otani financial package here? Will you defer the income for several for years? years? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then and find yourself a tax haven that you're going to be living in by then. Uh, and then we can maybe, you know, afford to give Jared a little more money. We shall see. Uh, Stephen, have a great weekend. Yeah, you guys do the same thing. Uh, looking forward to our visit come Monday, huh? Yeah. Perfect. We will have uh, much good. to talk about when we come back. Sunday night, Grammy night. We're going to check in with our good friend Lauren Crocker about what to watch for other than the statuettes, the big match, mashups and matchups, including Taylor Swift, uh, that may be the talk of the country. Back with that and more on JR Morning. This Sunday will be the 66th Annual Grammy Awards live from Los Angeles. going to be a really nice mix of old and new artists, the classic, the new age, and beyond. Lauren Crocker, who is our next-door neighbor at WDVD 96.3, joining us this morning. Hi there. Give us a preview. Oh, I'm so excited. This is like my Super Bowl. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for this. So excited. Of course, talking about the Super Bowl, we have to talk about Taylor Swift, right? Because everybody's talking already like, why won't Travis Kelsey be there with her? This could be a big year for her. Do we know already he won't attend? They're flying to Las Vegas that day. That's okay. the day the team oh. travels he's to play in the big game. He's got things to prepare for. Right. Yes, he's busy. And so the Swifties are out. They're like, why won't he support his girl? Oh, she shows up to all the games. But it's like, <laughs> she's cool with it, right? He's yeah. got to go do his thing. Uh, but she is actually looking to uh, do some pretty cool stuff. She's nominated for Artist of the Year, six nominations. And she has been... Uh, album of the year, I think, is the category she has been nominated the most without winning. So she's actually wow. looking to break that streak. She doesn't want that record. Kanye, Kanye won't re- be there, Willie. Huh? Kanye won't be there and jump in. Yeah. <laughs> Those nice little cameos, right? Yeah. She keeps re-releasing older albums um, in defiance yes. of her former management. Are those included? Can she be nominated for those albums? She can, yeah, because wow. they're new music. And right now, she's in her Reputation era because they think this is the next album that's going to be coming out. So they're expecting her to be wearing the darker colors and kind mm. of giving us that vibe. Mm-hmm. So you got the Taylor Swift aspect of it. Then you have SZA, who's nominated for the most uh, Grammys, and she's going to perform as well. Nine nominations. Amazing. Yeah, she's great. Trevor Noah is hosting. Um, It's just going to be a super fun show. All about the women this year. Olivia Rodrigo, Miley Cyrus, um, Billie Eilish is going to be performing probably her song from Barbie. I like Billie Eilish. But also the very reclusive Joni Mitchell is going to be making an appearance. And this is her first time ever performing at the Grammys. That's crazy. That's hard to believe. believe. Yeah, Do you know where she got her start? I don't actually. Here, she she used to live in an apartment right here in the news center area, really, in the, on the Wayne State campus. And suppo- oh, yeah, wow. there's a, the Detroit News has done some articles on it. That that's kind of wow. where she and her folks and her husband started. 
Isn't that amazing? And, uh, well, yeah. here we are. Guy Google it's over it's here. There we go. He knows it all. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and so. I'm excited for Billy Joel. I mean, he's going to be for me. Just dropped this new song. Yes. Lloyd sent it to me yesterday. Huh. It's so good. It is. It's just like this is a good chef's to hear him. kiss classic Billy Joel. Right? It is. Like, if you're a Billy Joel fan, this gives you everything you want. And it's so good. And I think he's going to do it live, obviously. The other thing I'm excited about they're going to be broadcasting U2 from The Sphere in Las Vegas. They've had this residency oh, cool. there, and they're going to do a performance from The Sphere. So we'll get to kind of so peek into that. I oh, saw cool. The Sphere, the exterior, two weeks ago when I was there for CES. Yeah. At night, we were on this at this uh, meeting where we could get out on a balcony. It, they have this thing where it makes it, they can make it look like it's rolling. Yeah. And they had it rolling right at us. Oh it, my is, it is the coolest thing. It's this incredible optical illusion yeah. they can do with the digital lights on it. Yeah, yeah. So that that I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, there's a lot of classic performers. There's going to be a lot of new performers. Um, they always kind of, there's some surprises still. We don't know everybody who's performing, yeah. but I'm pretty excited about the lineup. I like the collabs, mm -hmm. you know, when it's like people you would never think would sing together and they sort of pop up together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we're going to have that this year. A lot of people think Taylor Swift might jump on with somebody. Um, she could jump on with SZA. I don't know, but I don't think she's going to. But I their planned mashups are so good. And it's a great way, like for those of us that years ago, I hadn't heard of Mumford and Sons, yeah. but they brought them out. They brought them out with Bob Dylan. Yeah. And so it was like this instant credibility exchange mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And it was marvelous. I think this we could see a new. Billy Olivia Rodrigo because she that actually be jumped great. up on stage with him once at one yep. of uh, his New York shows at Madison Square Garden. So that would be kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I love what I tune in and I watch all the fashions like on the red carpet. That's another thing. That's too. a whole other show. That's a whole other show because <laughs> <laughs> the fashions are absolutely. Yeah. What if she just comes out in a Travis Kelsey jersey and says, "Ah, oh, the heck with it. I, right. I'm going all some in. heels. She could. could she be, could. Or could be. Yeah. It's going to be really, really exciting. I like the Grammys because I like award shows with performances. We're bored with the awards. I know. That's yeah. not why we tune in. That's yeah. right. That's we, right. They, they they deserve it. They deserve the credit, the credit and everything. But I don't need to see all that. I want to see this. In the long speeches, yeah. where they have to bring the music up behind. <laughs> and again, I think everybody deserves it. Like you deserve yeah. your moment. Sure, it's a big yeah. deal. But I like the performances. Yeah, and we can. I can do without all the political nonsense. Absolutely. Yeah, don't force feed me stuff when it's about the. Music. It's gonna. You know, it's gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, live on CBS yeah. uh, 62 here in Detroit. Also going to be streaming live on the Paramount streaming channel, I believe, and as well as YouTube TV. So. Yes, and I think CBS does their own red carpet, but the real one is E if you really want to see the red uh, yeah, carpet. 100%. They start at like yeah. 5.30, Who are you wearing? Yeah, yes. exactly. So you can watch that on E, too. <laughs> All right. Lauren Crocker, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Good times. Yeah. And good music. Uh, interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, and, and it says that for 20-somethings, the new bedtime is 9 p.m. What? This, Same. This, this notion of <laughs> millennials, you know, staying up till all, all hours of the night playing video games and then getting up bleary-eyed and quiet quitting is nonsense. The 20-somethings realize the uh, nexus between good sleep and good health and are taking good care of themselves. Do you guys see this meme on the internet where it's like, once I was cool and going out and going to bars and going to clubs, and now I look for clothes at Costco? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. There is that, that new reality that the, both the body and the budget no longer can, can Going can to bed at nine things. is fun. It sure is. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs>
so, struggle to stay up after that. Man. Yeah, so I don't know how many of these folks are going to be staying up to watch the Grammys. If, if maybe they yeah. just, uh, will, you know, will will watch it from get the highlights on social media. Watch it right. in their jammies. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Um, we will be keeping a close eye on the cross examination of Jennifer Crumbly, charged with involuntary manslaughter in the wake of those horrible Oxford murders. Um, she has yet to take the stand. A bit of a delay there. It was interesting, as they were concluding yesterday, her attorney hinted that she and Jennifer Crumbly were not on the same page on some of the things that were to happen today and that they needed to strategize. So apparently some wrinkles mm. in, in that relationship. Um, certainly some things that, as we talked to Todd well, Flood you... earlier today, the wisdom of allowing the affair yeah. uh, to get into the record, how the jury might view her in a dimmer light because of that. Uh, he had he he was very artful and diplomatic in his explanation that he doesn't, doesn't quite understand yeah. the strategy on the part of Gen- Jennifer Crumbly's uh, defense counsel. I think the prosecution's strategy changed a bit from what they heard yesterday because they were telling the judge like we're going to need some time here <laughs> because they weren't expecting some of these things. To come and that out revolved then. around this whole idea about the interaction between Jennifer Crumbly and her attorney about when and how they were going to turn themselves in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that opened uh, a crack in the door to attorney-client privilege. And it was Jennifer Crumbly herself that did that. Did that. Yeah. Put her attorney into a different, very difficult position where she could end up being a witness in this case. Yes, she could. Uh, So a lot of uh, different twists and turns as uh, the cross-examiners are going to be loaded for bear. This case is interesting in so many different fronts. It it is. And they skirted the key issue yesterday again and again as she testified about why is it that if you had knowledge about the existence of the gun, when you saw these troubling uh, art, this artwork, when you heard the concerns that the uh, administration had about Ethan Crumley's well-being, why didn't you divulge the fact that, hey, there's a gun and perhaps we should check his backpack or at least run home and see right. where the gun is? We'll talk about it all on Monday, I'm Monday. sure. When yes. we come back. In the meantime, we hope you have a pleasant, peaceful weekend, whether you're going to the Plymouth Art, uh, the Plymouth Ice thing or uh, Motown Winter Blast. Take care. We'll see you Monday.